Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Sunday, October 23rd, 2022. It focuses on God's covenant with Israel as mediated through Moses. The message to all who will listen is God made one conditional covenant which no one could keep so all mankind would seek salvation by faith in Jesus. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. God, you are here as you always are with us, and you never leave us, and you never forsake us, but in this time gathered together, you love to be with your church, and you love to make it evident that you're with us, and so I pray, God, that as we go to your word, that your spirit would pull us together and unite us in wanting to obey you, in wanting to serve you, in wanting to love you and love our neighbors as ourselves that we would follow those two great commandments that Jesus gave to us that sum up everything else. Help us to love you and to love others better because we've been here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Being an active member of the National Honor Society can be an important thing when you're looking to get into college. Discerning selection committees at colleges may be swayed toward acceptance of an NHS inductee over an equally qualified student who was not a member. Being an NHS can be helpful in other ways as well. Scholarship committees often look at how involved a student is in life outside of the classroom, and NHS's requirement of service to the broader community might move the needle toward financial help from some deep-pocketed organizations. With college admission and scholarship funds possibly on the line, it might be good to know what it takes to gain entrance into this elite group. I know a few of you who are probably past the time of induction, maybe. I thought for those who might want to get in or who still have that opportunity that you might like to know what our local high schools require in order to gain admission into the National Honor Society. So I did a little investigative reporting, and here I am to tell you what happens at Skyline and at Pratt. So first of all, Skyline High School students have to achieve a grade point average of 3.75 and be rated highly by the school's faculty, all the teachers in areas of leadership, character, and service. The teachers are surveyed each year about students who they believe meet those requirements and they measure them against that and then certain students are invited to join the National Honor Society. Pratt High's requirements are very similar. They require a 3.6 GPA and uh, being highly rated in those other areas and they tack onto that an interview process where the students who qualify otherwise come and talk with someone and they go through and interviewing process, but like I said, they're basically the same. Did you know NHS membership required more than just GPA, just scholarship? Yeah, it requires more than that. Character matters as much as a 4.0, leadership and service, they play into the mix. So students accepted into the NHS at their school are expected to maintain the things that got them in to continue to demonstrate good character, leadership qualities, and to continue to serve in their community and to keep that high level of academics as well. If a student fails to maintain these, 
There's bad news. They may be dismissed from the group and lose privileges which go with membership. And if this happens and an appeal is rejected, the ejected student will never be able to rejoin. That's in the national guidelines. You get kicked out of the NHS, you're out forever. I share all of this with you not because I think any of you want to get into the National Honor Society, but I want you to understand what a conditional covenant looks like. For the last three weeks, we've been talking about some unconditional covenants that God had made. God promises early on to all humanity after Adam and Eve fell into sin that no matter what mankind did, he would provide a head-crushing offspring of the woman to right what man had broken in following the temptation in the garden. Then we talked about God's promise to all creation after the flood, and that was an unconditional covenant too. He pledged not to break it no matter how wicked mankind might become in the years to follow. There would never again be a flood to destroy all living beings. And then last week we talked about God's promise to Abraham and his descendants, both physical and spiritual, and that that covenant that God made with Abraham was not dependent upon Abraham's behavior or on his descendants' behavior. God would bless the man and through his family bring blessing to all the peoples of the earth. The covenant we're going to examine this morning is not like these. It's conditional. It's the first conditional one. In fact, it's the only major one that's conditional. There's this if-then structure to it, much like the agreement those who are inducted into the National Honor Society enter into when they become members. The agreement God makes with his people is contingent on their obedience to the laws he hands down to them through his man, Moses. I'm going to bet that you could guess what this covenant is called. You know the pattern after all. Uh, we've been talking about the Adamic covenant, the Noahic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, and the Mosaic covenant. Right. So this is the covenant that God made with the nation that God had formed from Abraham's family and enacted under Moses' leadership, and we do call it the Mosaic covenant. Some call it the Sinai covenant since it was agreed upon at Mount Sinai after God had rescued his people from slavery in Egypt since our pattern has been to name it after the person that God made the promise to or the main character in that, we're going to stick with Mosaic. That said, I acknowledge the slight chance of confusion for art lovers. The Mosaic Covenant has nothing to do with pictures produced by arranging small colored pieces of glass or tile or whatever to make things. Okay, just want to make sure that everybody's there. Art appreciation class is now over. Our first passage today as we look at the Mosaic Covenant is Exodus chapter 19. And we're gonna read verses one through eight. If we covered everything here, we'd be like going from chapter 19 through 24 and jumping into other places. So we're just gonna get little bits and pieces here just to kind of give you an idea of what the covenant is and talk about the conditional agreement that God is entering into with his people. If you pay attention, you're gonna hear him use an if and then there's a then. After that, in verse 5, with our eyes and ears open for that, we're going to read Exodus 19, verses 1 through 8, and see what God has to say and how God's people respond to his terms and conditions. Here we go. Verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. 
After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. Did you catch the if in verse 5? He was pretty plain, pretty weighty. Listen to what God says once again. He says, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant. Anyone who thinks this isn't a big deal doesn't have a firm grasp on how many times they fall into sin how often they break God's laws, how often they disobey without even knowing it. Obeying fully is, dare I say it, impossible. Remember that sin nature that we talked about earlier in this series. We all share an inherited from Adam bent towards sin. We cannot, in our natural state, not sin. Our hearts and minds and wills, they're wired for wrongdoing. Acknowledging that the likelihood of compliance on the part of the people is minimal, look at what God promises if they fully obey him. Look at what he promises in verses 5 and 6. He says, out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. And he goes on, he says, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Treasured by God sounds pretty good, doesn't it? There could be nothing better than this. It's no wonder that the people in verse 8 agree to God's terms and they say, we will do everything the Lord has said. That's their pledge. In this moment, they're entering into that covenant. They have agreed. And I have to believe that they were sincere in that moment when they were making that promise that they were going to do everything the Lord had said. Don't you think that they wanted to obey God? He says, you're going to be my treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom and priests, a holy nation. You're going to be mine. God had rescued them and watched over them. His promises were good. The people standing before Moses wanted to be God's treasured possession. We know because their history has written down for us that they failed miserably at doing everything the Lord said. They didn't uphold their end of the deal. They disobeyed God in many ways. And I get it. I want to obey God in my best moments. When I'm staying close to him, I'm successful in my worst moments not so successful. I fall hard. I confess freely I need the Holy Spirit's help or I cannot follow God's commands. I know it was only a few weeks ago that I quoted this passage, but it bears repeating. Take a look at what Paul writes to the church in Romans 7, 15 to 25. You're going to find yourself nodding and understanding as I read. Paul's struggle is the same as yours, the same as mine. His struggle is the same one every man, woman, and child who puts their faith in Jesus faces. Thankfully, there's hope at the end of these verses, so pay attention. Here's what Paul says. Follow along as I read Romans 7, 15 to 25. 
I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Can you relate? What I want to do, I don't do, and what I don't want to do, I do. We're in a lot of do, do. (laughs) But we have victory in Jesus. He's our deliverer. We are free from the guilt and the power of sin. Those who have put their faith in Jesus, the Spirit is in us, helping us do what the people of Israel could not do. When we submit to his leadership, when we walk in step with him, we don't sin. We can do everything that the Lord has said when the Spirit's helping us. It's when we turn away from him and when we choose our own way that we mess up. What God has done is great despite the failure of the people of Israel to abide by the covenant that they agreed to, the conditional covenant. God has made a people his treasured possession. He has made a people, a kingdom of priests. He has created a holy nation. Listen to what Peter wrote to the church. See if there aren't echoes of Exodus 19, 5 and 6 in what he says in 1 Peter 2, 4 to 10. As you listen, take this truth to heart. We, the church, are God's new covenant people. As I begin reading, know that the stone that Peter refers to in these verses, in verses 4, 6, 7, and 8, is Jesus. He is the living stone, the stone laid in Zion, the precious stone, the stone rejected by the builders, the courting stone, the stone that causes people to stumble. That's all Jesus. Just want to clarify that before I started reading. So here we go. 1 Peter 2, 4 through 10. Read along with me. As you come to him, that's Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What God promised to the people in Moses' day, he has done in ours. He didn't have to do it. The people he made the agreement with didn't do as he commanded. They missed the if that he gave them by a mile. 
Still, he honored the then he had given to them. He honored it in the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus now. We've been long enough on this tangent. We have to go back to Exodus now. This is where it gets hard. At the beginning of Exodus 20, God begins to spell out everything he wants the people to do. He's spelling out what the everything is. The beginning of his word will likely sound familiar to you. You're going to hear God's word, and you're going to say, oh, I've heard those before. So here are the beginning of the terms and conditions that God is going to lay out for the people. This is what they've agreed to. This is what they said, yeah, we're going to do this. Okay, Exodus 20, verses 1 to 17. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Did you know that the Ten Commandments were just the first of many laws given to God's people as terms of the covenant he was making with them, that conditional covenant. The ten aren't the whole law, but they are, it seems, the foundations upon which all the others are built. Many of these hundreds of laws given to Israel are his clarifications of these ten, filling out details which aren't given here. Interestingly, Jesus comes back to a couple of these in his Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, he brings up the commandments that are given concerning murder and adultery. Do you remember what he said? Well, we're going to read it. So let's read his words together, starting with what he says about murder in Matthew 5, 21 and 22. Think about what he's doing as you listen. Is he affirming the command given to Israel in Exodus? If he is... Is he doing more than just affirming it? So here we go. Matthew 5, 21 and 22 says this. Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court, and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Anybody here called somebody a fool once or twice? Yeah. Hasn't Jesus just made life harder for those who want to obey? 
Isn't he saying that it's not enough to not murder? He's telling those who will listen that the command that God gave applies in ways that we don't even think about. I haven't killed anybody, but have I been hateful towards someone? Have I been angry toward them? Have I thought them a fool? Jesus does the same thing with adultery. In verses 27 to 28, Matthew 5, 27 to 28, Jesus is speaking. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If the evil we think is as sinful as the actions we take, are we not all doomed if God doesn't step in? Yeah. Jesus didn't go through all of the ten from Exodus 20 and spell out how each of them could be broken in the heart. He didn't have to. We get what he's saying and what he's driving at is as he reviews how these two can be broken in ways other than just not committing adultery or just not murdering. All of humanity is doomed if God does not step in. There is no way for anyone to save themselves if the conditions of the covenant are full obedience to God's commands in word and thought and deed. No one can live up to that standard. Don't miss this. Any covenant with God which requires me to do what's right without God's help is a covenant which I am not going to be able to keep. Without God's help, I will sin. We've gone to Romans for wisdom already once, so let's go there again. In Romans chapter 10, Paul recalls words from Leviticus 18, as God's giving the law there, which God gave to the people through Moses. This is part of the Mosaic Covenant as well. He's going to quote from that, and then he's going to tell his readers that there's a new way. This new way does not require obedience, but rather requires faith, trust. One way, he'll argue, leads to salvation, and we're going to see which way that is. It's either going to be by following the law, or it's going to be by faith in Jesus. You probably have a guess which one we're going to go with, but we'll read it anyway. So read along with me from Romans 10, starting at verse 5, continuing on through the end of verse 13. I say it all the time, we could have read a ton more, but this is going to stand in for everything else. So Romans 10, 5 to 13 begins with these words. Moses writes this about the righteousness that is by the law. The person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that is by faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the deep, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So there in verse 5, this is quoting from Leviticus 18. The person who does these things will live by them. He's talking about the law, all the things that God commanded, the conditions of the covenant. The person who does these things, they'll live by them. 
That's what God said of the law, and no one did these things. So no one gets to live. No one could do these things and find life. Not in Moses' day, not in Jesus' day, not in Martin Luther's day, not in any day, including our day. The Mosaic Covenant, with its impossible because of our sin nature, if you fully obey condition, makes God's way to salvation, salvation through faith in Jesus, the only viable option. The covenants God made previously, all of them unconditional, gave us hope that a Savior would come. This conditional one makes sure our hope is set on him alone. We have to know that there is no other way so that we will desperately cry out to God for what we need, and that's rescue. Let me say that again. This conditional covenant makes sure that our hope is set on God alone. We have to know that there is no other way so that we will desperately cry out to God for what we need, and that is rescue. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If you've called upon Jesus believing he can save you, if you have made him Lord of your life and you're living for him, you are saved. <laughs> if you haven't done these things, today's the day. Put your faith in him. You cannot save yourself, but he can save you. Call on his name. Put your faith in what he's done. I'm going to give you a few moments to respond to God, a few moments of silence. I encourage you to pray, asking God for salvation for yourself if you need it, to asking God to bring spirit to work on your friends as they live their lives, that he would convict them and bring them to salvation in him. Ask God to open the eyes of your heart and the eyes of the hearts of those that you love to the truth so that salvation can come. The conditional covenant says you can't get there on your own you can't fully obey. But the new covenant says, put your faith in Jesus and you'll find salvation. I encourage you to pray and to talk to God about that. God, thank you that you gave us this conditional covenant so that we would know that there was no way we could do it ourselves. We often think of ourselves as pretty good people. We're not mean and we don't murder and we don't commit adultery. But God, you know our hearts. 
you know the things that our tongues speak and we know that not a hundred percent of the time throughout our life in every season have we been obedient to your commands and your laws we have fallen short and so we're without excuse before you we've failed in the if part and so we can't receive the then part unless we put our faith in Jesus because you have promised to give us the gift of eternal life through him, the gift of salvation through him, and you've sent him to rescue us, and we're grateful for that. Thanks be to God, we have the victory through Jesus. God, help us to walk in humility toward those around us, knowing that we fail and falter when it comes to sin just the same as they do and that we need your Spirit's help. And we pray, God, that you would draw our neighbors to you so that they can be rescued. God, help us to be a blessing to those around us. Help us to be a blessing everywhere we go this week. And God, draw people to you through us and through your church throughout this community and wherever your name is proclaimed. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.